You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Soap here, excited to continue our series featuring our 2019 NLC LA Fellows. Marcus Spinigno is here today. He's got a really interesting background, unique amongst our fellows. I'm excited to have you hear about it. So let's get to it. Yeah, Marcus, I, I was serious about your your background is a little different than um, many of our, our past fellows. We'll talk a little bit about your ACLU work, which isn't necessarily that different. But before that, you worked as a reporter in some interesting parts of the world. Can you tell folks a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I graduated around the 2008 recession. And I figured, you know, what do I do in my life? I'm not going to get a master's, don't care for law school. So I just went uh, on a, around the world for about what initially was going to be a year, but then I ended up extending that for about three years, um, ending up in Nepal as a reporter, um, and then moving on to Cairo just after the first um, after after the revolution during the first president presidential election, um, just sort of you know writing for multiple rags, local rags, and some some international outlets. And then, what was the most uh interesting, engaging, weird story that you end up covering in that part of the world? Ah, let's see. Um, well, for a while, I mean, you know, the, the sort of impressive sort of reporting gigs like around maybe um, the religious minorities in Cairo during the vote and how they were impacted. Um, there's a small population of, of Coptic Christians. Those, you know, those stories are, are far and few, but I did them. Um, but for the most part, I actually had my own dining column. All <laughs> and what was great about that is that you know they paid for the food, but then you also got paid for the article. Um, bring along friends, and so I had this dining column week per week under my pseudonym, which was Marco Pollo, which is off of the Marco Polo, uh, you know, the fame character. Nice. Well, that sounds like a YouTube show or something that Netflix should pick up. So you might want to. Circle back to that at some point in time. Uh, yeah, but tell us a little bit about your work with the ACLU now. So I've been with the ACLU of Southern California, the affiliate, uh, for about five years now. Um, I started off as their digital strategist, where I focused. You know, there's the era of like using social for nonprofits. Then we went into app development with this this app called Mobile Justice, which has become really popular, especially um, with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. And then from that, about two years ago, I, I uh, was promoted to become director of communications here, um, which has been um, quite an adventure and um, still, still holding strong. And I like this phrase in, in, in your bio, I remember reading it during your application, that uh, narrative change campaigns, uh, which I thought was a, a good way to think about trying to win the hearts and minds of, of people. So in your experience, what do you feel like is most frequently winning the day on messaging, say like on voting rights or immigration or, you know, what kind of things do you feel like are really uh, having people consider their positions in a different way? I think, you know, um, especially in this area where we're constantly being bombarded by, by news um, and by bad news, it's easy to react um, and be in that reactive mode. We're always in this idea of resistance, but I think, um, one of the things that, that I try to hold on to and our organization tries to hold on to is, is the strength and work that we've been doing for years. Like progress doesn't just change because we have this, this, you know, um, this administration that's sort of pushing back, but that we have to hold on to our, our values and lead by our values um, and not just be in this sort of reactive mode. Because when we are in reactive mode, we, we essentially just hold the status quo. 
And during the Obama era, we still had a lot of fights that we're, we're fighting today. Just obviously, they're, they're just more attenuated and, in, in, and much, um, much more egregious. Um, and so the idea of narrative change is, is really considering how we say things, that it's not just what we say, but how we say it. Um, for instance, like in, in a simple email marketing exercise, when we talk about, let's say, the Muslim ban, when we reach out to our members or the general public, you know, well, we often sort of just default on, on perpetuating the othering of different communities where we'll say, oh, we should help our Muslim, you know, our neighbors, Muslim neighbors and friends. When in fact, many of our members and the general public are actually Muslim themselves. So it's, it's sort of like, why are we saying that? In, in other words, why shouldn't we just say our families, like our Muslim families um, and friends? Um, so there, there are little things that we could tweak to really sort of encapture the inclusivity and equity that we want to, we want to see in the world. And then because you're in this line of, of work, is it hard for you to, to read social media or read newspapers or magazines and, and not see strategic communication done really poorly, done really well? Like, how do you kind of consume communications now, given the role that you're in? I mean, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I taught a course at Occidental College just about this. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. There's someone, you know, in the White House who's very good at this, mm-hmm. sort of pivoting and using much of what George Lakoff has been teaching for years um, um, in terms of, you know, really excelling and framing. But you also see the faults um, where now Trump, you know, for many, you know, for, for months or, or maybe even a year now, he's, he's gone about this idea of no collusion, right? Um, which goes against what George Lakoff says. It's like, you know, just by simply acknowledging it, even within a negative frame, you, you give it some legitimacy and give it some truth. So there's really fascinating um, when, you're, when, when, we're, when I'm consuming these things and just looking at it from this lens. Yeah. Hey, last thing, what are you most looking forward to once you meet the other fellows in the Institute in January? You know, I was just astounded by the number of people who are so just real and ready um, and willing to show up for the community. And I was surprised that I was chosen because they were just, you know, really remarkable people. So I'm, I'm so open to learning from them um, and they're from, from their experiences. But ultimately, you know, you know, I don't know what's next. I, I enjoy my job and I could see myself being a lifer. Um, at the ACLU, but um, you know, I, I want to find ways to sort of con- to connect to my community and and potentially consult. Who knows? Yeah, well, we're excited to see where it goes, and we're excited to have you in the class. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. Make sure to catch all other episodes featuring the other nineteen amazing NLC LA fellows. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. They're all there. Don't miss them. Until next time, we'll see you soon.